Evening. Our reading tonight is Genesis chapter 37, and you can find that in your church Bibles on page 41. So beginning at verse 1. Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. This is the account of Jacob's family line. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And he brought their father a bad report about them. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other brothers, because he had been born to him in his old age, and he made an ornate robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of corn out in the field, when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright, while your sheaves gathered round mine and bowed down to it. His brothers said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? They hated him all the more because of his dreams and what he had said. Then he had another dream, and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream, and this time the sun and moon and eleven stars were bowing down to me. When he told his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, What is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. Now his brothers had gone to graze their father's flocks near Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, As you know, your brothers are grazing the flocks near Shechem. Come, I'm going to send you to them. Very well, he replied. So he said to them, Go and see if all is well with your brothers and with the flocks, and bring word back to me. Then he sent him off to the valley of Hebron. When Joseph arrived at Shechem, a man found him wandering around in the fields and asked, What are you looking for? He replied, I'm looking for my brothers. Can you tell me where they are grazing their flocks? They have moved on from here, the man answered. I heard them say, let's go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dothan. But they saw him in the distance, and before he reached them, They plotted to kill him. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. When Reuben heard this, he tried to rescue him from their hands. Let's not take his life, he said. Don't shed any blood. Throw him into this cistern here in the wilderness, but don't lay a hand on him. Reuben said this to rescue him from them and take him back to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the ornate robe he was wearing, and they took him and threw him into the cistern. 
The cistern was empty. There was no water in it. As they sat down to eat their meal, they looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were loaded with spices, balm and myrrh, and they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, What will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. His brothers agreed. So when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph up out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of short silver to the Ishmaelites, who took him to Egypt. When Reuben returned to the cistern and saw that Joseph was not there, he tore his clothes. He went back to his brothers and said, The boy isn't there. Where can I turn now? Then they got Joseph's robe, slaughtered a goat, and dipped the robe in the blood. They took the ornate robe back to their father and said, We found this. Examine it to see whether it is your son's robe. He recognized it and said, It is my son's robe. Some ferocious animal has devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes, put on sackcloth, and mourned for his son many days. All his sons and daughters came to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. No, he said, I will continue to mourn until I join my son in the grave. So his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. Thanks, Laura. Let's just pray, shall we? Father, we just pray that you will uh, speak to us now through your spirit. Help us to understand and see things in your word that will lead us to you. Amen. Way, way back, many centuries ago, Jacob lived in the land of Canaan. A fine example of a family man. You know, the musical which everybody will have seen and if you haven't I'm going to save you the bother tells the story of Joseph uh, pretty accurately Uh, and Tim Rice's lyrics well the first sort of 20 words are quite accurate Uh, until you get to that little phrase Jacob a fine example of a family man because as we've seen if you've been here in the morning series as we've been working through the story of Genesis um, that is exactly what Jacob isn't So we can't completely rely on the musical to take us through, but it's bound to be there uh, as as we work along. But chapter 37 picks up the first half of the show, doesn't it? What's happened in chapter 37? If you haven't been to the show, uh, then uh, perhaps worth reminding, uh, there is Joseph, he's the the favourite son, 
of, of Jacob. He's given this fancy, amazing, oh, where's the Technicolor Dreamcoat picture gone? There we are. There we go. He's given this amazing technicolor dream coat, this ornate robe, whatever it is. Um, <clears throat> he has his dreams uh, about being a uh, king. Uh, he winds up his brothers, something rotten. Uh, they get to the stage of wanting to kill him. And as we heard, they change their mind. They sling him down a well, uh, sell him to the Midianites, uh, and he ends up uh, as a slave in Egypt. And we just get a hint, don't we, at the end of that chapter of how that's going to develop as we're introduced to Potiphar. But that chapter sits between two other bits about Jacob's sort of dysfunctional family. And it's really setting us up. And it's setting us up by introducing two big new characters who we're going to come to deal with. And the first character, pretty obviously, because he's going to dominate the next few chapters, is Joseph. Joseph himself. And the big question, I think, to ask about Joseph is, what's the point? What is Joseph all about? He's, he's this huge character, but, but what is his significance uh, in Scripture? Now, there is one way of looking at Joseph, to say he's a kind of a projection of Jesus. And that if you look at Joseph's light, what you're looking like is a sort of uh, a shadow, a precursor to the Lord Jesus. So even in this chapter, uh, we're seeing uh, a, a favoured son being rejected. Um, we're seeing a son, perhaps not killed, but buried, uh, put in the, in the ground, who really comes back to life, is saved, but who is sold uh, for silver. And then, of course, he ends up, uh, as we see in later chapters, between two criminals, uh, one of whom is saved and one isn't. And Joseph goes on to be the means by which his people are saved. That's what he says himself. By the time we get to chapter 45... He'll say, I was sent here to save you. So there's a very clear sort of image, isn't there, of Jesus in Joseph. And we can argue about the significance of that and exactly what it means and and, and where the differences are. And I'm not sure it would take us much further than that. But what we do know about Joseph is that he he was God's man that God was working his purposes out through him. And even that's a bit arguable. I said he's God's man. How old was he? 17. Anybody learning to drive here? So Joseph would be with you with his L plates. He was was an older teenager, a, a young man. He was probably actually learning... Uh, how to farm. That's probably why he was out there uh, watching his brothers. Uh, He was a young man uh, learning the trade. And yet, even at a relatively young age, God has his hand on him and God is working through him. 
So, first off, there's an encouragement, isn't there? That however young we are here, and I think you can spin it on your head and say however old we are too, God can use us. There's never a right age to be used by God. He's using Joseph at the age of 17. But what is the evidence? What is the evidence that God is actually in Joseph's life? Look at verse 2. Verse 2, uh, it's, it's quite a long verse, but you can see at the end, he's, he's out there uh, watching his brothers, and it says at the end, he brought their father a bad report about them. Now, we, we've, we've skipped over some chapters in the morning service, we haven't done the whole thing here in the evening, um, but if you want a pretty gruesome story, uh, read Genesis 34, where the brothers take it out on the, the, the families who live in Shechem for the way they've treated uh, their sister. Uh, and, and basically, uh, they massacre uh, a lot of the men there, uh, and then they rob their dead bodies. We get to chapter 37, uh, and they're very happily discussing killing their brother or, or then selling them on. It's a sort of, a gang of sort of, this is like the Cray brothers' family. Uh, this is not a nice group of people. And so when Joseph goes back and reports to his dad what's going on, well, actually, Joseph's doing exactly what he should do. Ephesians 5. Paul writes, exposed deeds of darkness. Joseph is doing exactly what he should do. And then, of course, we've got the dreams. They're terribly familiar, aren't they? The two dreams of the corn and the stars, verses 5, verse 10. Um, clearly God revealing his purpose. We don't get a lot of explanation. It's just kind of obvious, isn't it? This is God saying, this is how I'm going to work in your life, Joseph. My hand is, is on you. Now, as an aside, dreams pop up now and again in the Bible, but they're not the normal way God communicates to us the scary thing is that the way God communicates to us is by someone standing up here talking or us by reading the scriptures or waiting on the Holy Spirit so we, we see dreams here we see dreams active in, 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 in Joseph's life as, as God speaks to him uh, it's not normal but it is clearly God working in Joseph's life So we've got a man, who, a young man, who seems to be trusting God, who is prepared to speak out. He's prepared to call out evil, and he's prepared to uh, say what God is doing in his life. And that sounds great. That sounds like clearly evidence of, 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 of someone who we should take note of. But Joseph, if you use a sort of technical phrase, I think you say Joseph is a git, really. He's just not very pleasant, is he? There's nothing terribly attractive about Joseph. He's a sort of Bart Simpson of, 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 of the Old Testament. Just go back at those verses. You know, he, he sees the brothers misbehaving and it kind of sticks in the gullet, doesn't it, really? That the only thing that we're told about him is that he scampers back and tells Daddy. Peter writes, Live such a good life that others will glorify God. 
What is the, dis- the brother's reaction to Joseph? Well, look at verse 4. The brothers did not have a kind word to say about him. It doesn't feel as though Joseph is really sort of walking the talk. Verse 3, we get this coat. Uh, lots of argument about exactly what this coat is, but it's obviously a, a, a fantastic thing. Um, he's wearing it when he goes to see the brothers. Uh, verse 18, can you see? It says they could see him in the distance. It was obviously a pretty sort of bright thing. The sun was reflecting off the bling. He was kind of rubbing it in, wasn't he? Travelling all this way to wearing this fancy robe. And the result, verse 3, they hate him. And then the dreams. You know, there's no, no sign here that he was told to tell the brothers his dreams. But Joseph does. Verse 9 they hate him. It's not good, is it? And we know what it's like when brothers fall out with each other at the moment, don't we? Uh, if Joseph had Netflix, goodness knows what it would have been like. But the fact is, brothers falling out is bad news. And yet there's hope. You know, Joseph doesn't get referred to very much Uh, in the New Testament. But he does once, uh, well, one main occasion. Acts uh, chapter 7, Stephen's trial. And Stephen uh, says this, Acts 7 verse 9, he says, because the patriarchs were jealous of Joseph, they sold him as a slave into Egypt. But God was with him, rescued him from his troubles, and he gave Joseph wisdom. Isn't that hopeful I don't know about you but if you look back on the last week and you think well this is where I messed up this is where I behaved more like Joseph perhaps where I was more uh, showing off where I I just used the wrong words where I perhaps upset someone but Stephen can look back and say God gave Joseph wisdom and isn't that a prayer for each one of us that whatever mess we make God uses us and God will give us wisdom and that's Joseph and we're going to see Joseph's life played out uh, over the coming uh, chapters in more detail but there's another character introduced uh, in, uh, in this uh, passage which is also going to be huge in the rest of the Bible. And that's Egypt. This is our first serious introduction uh, to Egypt. Verse 28, uh, the the, the Midianite or the Ishmaelite caravan is on its way to Egypt. And I just want to think for a moment about Egypt. Now, uh, for those who are Egyptian here or Egyptian heritage, uh, this is not slagging off e- Egypt now. Um, we're off there on Tuesday for a week, so I have to admit that. Um, so we won't be at the prayer meeting either. Um, but symbolically, Egypt in the Old Testament is very, very significant. Egypt stands for slavery and oppression and life without God. It's a society that exists uh, without any acknowledgement 
of the God that Nick was just talking to us about. It's, it's a very attractive place. Um, you know, the time Joseph goes there, it's already nearly a thousand years old. The pyramids were there. Uh, it's, it's, it's got uh, a civil society. Uh, it's powerful. It's got the arts. It's got good food. Uh, it's, it's, it's very attractive. But it's godless. I was uh, talking to a student serving in a cafe uh, down the seafront the other day. Uh, and um, I said, well, what brings you to Brighton? And she said, well, I live in Birmingham. And that was all she felt she had to say. You know, why wouldn't I come to Brighton? I live in Birmingham. Well, Egypt worked a little bit like that uh, for the people of Israel. Didn't head to the south coast, but they headed south. That was the place uh, to go. It was, a, it was a great place to go. Didn't have a great football club, but it did have a great army. And that made it attractive all the time. And that picture of Egypt that we're being introduced to is going to have two implications. Firstly, it is a land of slavery. And we're just getting a hint of this in this chapter, isn't it? Chapter 38, sorry, verse 38, where Potiphar gets introduced. And we know Joseph will be tempted, he'll end up in prison, the whole story will work out, Uh, we'll get to the end of Genesis And things will be looking reasonably good. But Exodus will start with the stark news that Egypt is the land of slavery. It's a picture, if you like, of life without God. Life without Jesus. It's the whole story of scripture being teed up for us now. That if we live a life without God, we need rescuing from that if we're not to face an eternity without him. The verse we looked at this morning, Revelation 1.5, says Jesus freed us from our sins by his blood. Jesus, who Matthew reminds us, was called out of Egypt to save us. Jesus has come as a person into our lives to save us from the slavery of Egypt. So Egypt always should remind us that is a place where we don't know God, where Jesus uh, has no rule. And it also is always there as a temptation. It's always there calling to the people of Israel. It's somewhere we would prefer to be. But it is never the home of the people of God. I don't know whether any of you saw the fox, the mole, the rabbit and the horse and the boy and the whatever else it is, Charlie Mackesy's thing. Anybody see? If you've seen Alpha, been Alpha, you see Charlie Mackesy on there as well. You know, the whole point of that story is where is your home, isn't it? They're looking and the boy is looking for his home. Well, Egypt is never to be our home. It is never to be the home of the people of God. You know, if you go through scripture, the phrase that you will find most commonly associated with Egypt is the phrase, out of Egypt. The people of God are never sent into Egypt. The people who are sent into Egypt are sent to get the rest of the folk out. So there's a picture there 
that as followers of the Lord Jesus, we are not to move into that sort of world where we ignore him, where we ignore God. We are to enjoy the things of this world, but we're not to rely on them. And time after time, the people of Israel want to rely on Egypt and have to be called back. Because when we start to rely on those things that are not of God, then we are on the path to slavery. Then we're joining Joseph in this caravan. It's why Paul writes, 1 Timothy 6, he says, instruct those who are rich in this present world not to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly supplies us with all the things that we can enjoy. So that is her garda. That's where we'll be next week. Sorry about that. <laughs> it's not that hot, really. But, you know, when we begin to rely on our holidays, when we begin to boast on them, when we begin to say, well, that's what I live for, or whatever it may be, then we're beginning to move into that land of slavery, aren't we? So we need to be honest, perhaps, don't we? And say, well, what do I actually rely on in life? When Isaiah saw God's people beginning to drift away, he brought them back with this verse. They who hope in the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. <clears throat> they shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. And that is still a promise for us today. And that is, as we see Egypt introduced into the narrative, that little threat all the time that we need to be looking out for. But, but that's going to come later. Just for now, we see Joseph getting it wrong. In fact, getting it badly wrong, isn't he? But God is still with him. God's still using him. God gives him wisdom. And so Joseph serves as a warning to us and an encouragement. We do mess up. But God is with us and he will give us wisdom too. And when we yearn for perhaps an easier life, when we are tempted to rely on things of this world, then perhaps remember the words of John, love not the world, says John. Perhaps we need to review our behaviours at the start of this 2023 and say, let us trust in a God who will meet all our needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus.